Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us for part two on Grace for Your Thorns. According to the book, No Ordinary Time, the first peacetime draft occurred on October 29th, 1940. That's the first peacetime draft in the United States. Franklin Delano Roosevelt sat down with his Secretary of War there on a stage in a crowded auditorium in Washington, D.C., and they had spent the preceding weeks giving everybody a draft number, everybody, all males between the ages of 21 to 35 had been given a draft number. And these numbers were put in a big fishbowl on the stage. Well, the Secretary of War A guy by the name of Stinson was blindfolded and then he reached down into that fishbowl on the stage and pulled out a number. That first number that was pulled out was number 158. Well, as that number was spoken out, there's a woman in the audience and you could hear her scream. Seated in the middle of that crowded auditorium was Mildred Bell, and she gasped because her 21-year-old son, Harry, who was supposed to be buried just the next week, held number 158. Now his future was linked to that of his country. Number 158 was held by some 6,000 registrants in different precincts throughout the country. One individual was a guy by the name of Michael Thompson. He was a welder from Cleveland. He was a father of three, but he got drafted. There was another guy by the name of Jack Clarity. Uh, He was a banjo picker from Charlotte, North Carolina. Then there was an unemployed guy by the name of James Cody of Long Island, New York. He got recruited. He got that number 158. Name after name after name. When you look at God drawing the number on those he saves, now we're called to be salt, we're called to be light, but we're called to be ambassadors and priests, and there are no deferments. We're enlisted to display the righteousness of God in a wicked world, to help the weak and help to feed the hungry, to represent the living God by telling others all about Jesus. You see, in a way, God drafted us to be an agent of grace. So today, I want to continue our study on grace for your thorns. Maybe you're going through a really hard time right now, and I can't even pretend uh, to know what you're going through. But I do know that God's grace is always sufficient. I've noticed about God's grace is that He doesn't give it to us early but he doesn't give it to us late. It's grace for the moment. We learned yesterday that grace is a free gift, and we learned that Paul experienced God's amazing grace. And Paul had this thorn in his flesh, and he asked the Lord to remove that thorn on three occasions. But then he says it was given to him to keep him from becoming prideful. That thorn in the flesh was a messenger from Satan to torment Paul and to keep Paul from becoming prideful. So we learn, first of all, that grace is something that is given to us 
freely. It's a free gift. We learn, secondly, that grace is received by faith. Uh, We can't work to get our grace. We can't even have the faith to believe that God will give us that grace. Even the faith itself is a gift of God. And then we learn, number three, that the way that we fuel this grace is by trusting God and obeying Him, trusting Him in all areas of our lives, leaning on Him, realizing that when we lean on Him, He gives us that grace for the moment. And then number four, uh, we want to know that grace also does something else. It opens doors to friendship. Proverbs 22.11 says, One who loves with a pure heart and speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. Now, get that little phrase, a pure heart and one who speaks with grace. In other words, if grace is within me, it will affect how I speak. I was listening to a testimony from a Mexican student who came to study in the United States. And when he was in Mexico, he lived in Mexico City, Mexico, and he says, while I was in Mexico, he says, all these people from the United States would come and they would do these short-term missions trips. In Mexico, they wanted to be my friends because they wanted to do missions to me. But then he says, when I moved to the United States, nobody wanted to be my friend. What, What happened? There is a disconnect there. There wasn't a pure heart to love this guy. So when we think about grace, grace opens doors to friendship. If we have a pure heart, then we will purely speak of God's grace. And Solomon says that we're going to have a king for a friend. In other words, God opens up doors of opportunity just by being kind to people. You know, throughout my life, I've discovered many doors have opened up to me, not because I'm smarter than anybody else, not because I work harder than anybody else, not because of any other reason other than I just be kind to people. And it's amazing what kindness will do, what a gracious heart will do. You know, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God gave us the grace of God in our hearts and in our lives, not because we deserved it, not because God had this uh, this insatiable desire to redeem us. It wasn't that God needed to rescue us to feel better about himself. God doesn't need anything. God gives us his grace out of the pure agape love that he has for us. It's this unconditional love that he has for us. No strings attached, not even an expectation from us in return. He loves us unconditionally, so he gives us grace. Can you imagine what would happen to your friendships if you were gracious to your friends? Always gracious. You would have so many friends that you wouldn't know what to do with them all. Your door would be knocked over. Your Facebook account would would be shut down because you got too many friends. It would be unbelievable what would happen to your life if you were graciously, with a pure heart, speaking grace to your friends. You see, grace does indeed open doors to friendship. Number five, we discovered that grace can be rejected or, or it can be forsaken. And if it is forsaken, it leads to envy and bitterness. Now, I want you to look at an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 26.10. 
It says, but when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Now, this is a powerful, powerful passage because we learn here that if a person doesn't want to change, even grace is not going to change that. It says, when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil, and they do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Now, you can be a disgrace to grace by rejecting grace, and you're not going to get better by rejecting grace. You're going to become more evil. Paul follows up on this theme in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, see to it that nobody fails to miss the grace of God. Because if you do, there's this root of bitterness. It springs up and it causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Now, I want to say something that I hope will bless you as a follower of Christ, and I hope will encourage you. I used to be down in the dumps. I used to be all discouraged if somebody would reject the grace of God because I took it very personally. I felt like they were rejecting me. I felt like I was a failure if I shared the gospel with somebody and they rejected the gospel of Christ, or if I tried to encourage somebody. Sometimes people get discouraged and they drop out of church, and I would go talk to them, and it seemed like it didn't make a difference in their life, and I would be heartbroken because I felt like I failed that person. But then it occurred to me, I really didn't fail that person. That person rejected God's grace. Paul's very clear. If you do not obtain the grace of God, that that root of bitterness will spring up and cause trouble. You see, when we reject God's grace, it may be displayed by rejecting God's people. But when we reject God's grace, one of the ways we know we are, we got this root of bitterness that we can't get rid of. I was talking to a couple one time and they were very um, disgruntled, I guess is the best word to describe them. And I've discovered that if a person is discouraged, I might be able to help them. If they're disgruntled, that's very difficult because a disgruntled person is one who finds a problem with every solution. Well, no matter what I try to offer up to this couple uh, as a way of solution, uh, they cut it down. They shut it down. It didn't matter what I say. They came back with a negative response. What happened to that couple? They rejected the grace of God. You see, they could see the problem in everybody else, but they couldn't see it in themselves. And no matter how hard I tried to explain it to them, it was going nowhere because every time I would bring up a solution, it's, well, what about that person? Well, what about what they did? You see, grace is a gift that is given to us. And I can't give it to you. Now, I can manifest grace, but grace is a gift that only God can give you. And only he is the one that is that agent of grace. That spirit of grace is really a gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And if you reject that gift, you will also battle bitterness. And that bitterness is going to affect many. I had a young lady came to me one Sunday after church not too long ago, and she's so discouraged over her family because her family uh, doesn't accept the Christian faith, and 
and they become embittered toward it, and she's taking it very personally. And I said, don't let their bitterness affect you. God's grace is sufficient so that you can face this thorn in your flesh disguised as family members. You see, grace and truth are twin attributes of God. Uh, You can't have one without the other. And I know some of us are really heavy on truth, right? Truth, 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 truth. But we diminish grace. Jesus grew in grace and truth. So we hold grace and truth in tension. We've learned so far that grace is a gift that is given to us, a free gift that is given to us. It's given to us even the the gift of faith to have a relationship with grace. It is fueled by obedience and, and trust. You know, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Grace also uh, will help us to develop meaningful friendships. And grace, if it's forsaken, leads to bitterness and causes all kind of trouble. But number six, grace fulfills us completely. John 1.14, and this is such a wonderful passage. Uh, last night in my small group, uh, we left, and, and the guy who taught the group last night, his name is Paul, and Paul was talking about uh, some of his life before Christ, and when we began the lesson, I said, okay, the Apostle Paul's given a small group lesson, and everybody started laughing, and then he, then he shared some of his testimony of when he was in the Navy, and some of the things he did before he was a Christian. And I says, ah, that's when you were Saul, right? That was uh, before you became a follower of Christ. Well, he gave us a whole list of verses that have grace in them. And one of those verses was John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Oh, don't you love that? Uh, the word talking about Christ took up his tabernacle here, dwelt among us. And John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, notice it doesn't say grace or truth. It says grace and truth. Oh, I want you to give a really a resounding applause to the Lord for the fact that he has given us that opportunity to experience his grace and his truth. In Romans 10, 4, it says, Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. You see, we also learn from Romans 6, 14, that sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but you're under grace. And I don't want you to miss this very important point. Because Paul in Romans chapter 6 is dealing with some unruly people in the church at Rome. And they are reasoning wrongly that the way I get more of God's grace is by sinning more. I mean, it almost sounds logical, right? I need more grace because I'm more of a sinner. Well, God's grace is inexhaustible, first of all. But second of all, Paul says in Romans 6.1, how can we who are dead to sin, live any longer therein. In other words, I'm still going to sin. I can't overcome that as part of my nature, but it doesn't have dominion over me. I am filled with God's grace, and the more I live in God's grace, the more gracious I become. It's amazing when we think about how we are fulfilled. We are fulfilled when we are living completely in God's grace.
that's where we find fulfillment. Everything becomes more fulfilling when we're living in God's grace. Our marriages become more fulfilling when we're living in God's grace. We become less critical, less cynical as we're living in God's grace. I was reading a section of a book, and it's a kind of a provocative book called Modern Romance. And it talks about this guy, Derek, who uh, went through OK Cupid. And as he went through OK Cupid, he was trying to find a perfect mate. Uh, so he found somebody that met his profile. I mean, found somebody with a good job. They had a lot of the same interests, uh, including the love of sports. Well, after looking a page over for a minute or two, he discovered, well, uh, she looks great. I'm going to keep looking for a little while, however, because I don't think it's a perfect match. So they asked, well, what was the problem? Well, she likes the Red Sox. I can't hang out with somebody who loves the Red Sox. Uh, Completely shocked, right? One little thing. I want you to know, marriage is a wonderful institution. But who wants to be institutionalized, right? Marriage is two imperfect people that are coming together under the sacredness of a union that is designed till death do us part. Uh, But I want you to know that you cannot find complete fulfillment in your spouse. Complete fulfillment comes from our relationship with Christ in Christ alone. Well, I've got one last point I've got to share with you on this matter of grace. Grace is a free gift. The faith of believing that free gift is a gift that is given to us. When we look at this whole matter of grace, it's fueled by obeying, trusting, and obeying. It opens doors to unbelievable friendships. And as we look at grace, if we forsake God's grace, bitterness springs forth in us. Uh, We could call that an unforgiving spirit, right? And when I have an unforgiving spirit, I become bitter, not better. I can nurse and rehearse a grudge, but it doesn't go away. Uh, It gets deeper. It gets more filled with resentment. So when I forsake grace, when I say no to grace, I get bitter, and that bitterness affects many. We've learned that grace fulfills us. Nothing can fulfill me more than knowing that I am a recipient of the grace of God, His forgiveness, His filling of the Spirit. And lastly, grace gives freedom. Think about freedoms that we have. It was during the Roosevelt administration that he talked about the perfect society and talked about how we as Americans should be protecting certain freedoms. And he basically had four freedoms in mind that we as Americans should enjoy. One would be the freedom of speech, the opportunity to express what we feel uh, we need to express or want to express. And we're seeing this freedom slowly being eroded away. Why is that? Because we are rejecting the grace of God. Where God's grace is, there's freedom of speech. There's also freedom of worship, that ability to not just uh, exercise my right to religion, but my right to worship and my right to carry out my beliefs of worship into the public sector, not just the uh, behind the four walls of the church. And then we have the freedom from wants, and the freedom to be able to have our needs taken care of and and not worry about uh, where our next meal is, we can go out and we can work. And then the last one is uh, freedom from fear. You know, faith 
can conquer our fear. So when we look at this last point, we discover here that Paul reminds us that creation was subjected to frustration. But he says that was not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So here Paul makes a correlation between creation being set free from its curse and the children of God being free from the curse of sin. And as we think about this point, when creation was cursed, it did nothing wrong, but yet it was cursed. We fall into sin, and we're in bondage because of our sin. When God sets us free, he also sets creation free. Now, that's going to happen in the future. In the future, Paul talks about the glory of the children of God, Romans 8, 21. He's talking about the day where we are no longer have this ongoing battle with sin, that we'll receive our glorified body, will be a, a, a new glorified body, a body that cannot sin, a body that will live forever, a body that will no longer have sickness, no longer uh, be lonely, no longer suffer the hurts that we suffer today, no longer having a thorn in the flesh, we'll have a glorified body. But then he talks about creation, being liberated from its bondage. Uh, he carries it even deeper by reminding us in Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so stand firm in that freedom. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul has got a job ahead of him as he's talking to the believers at Galatia because they believed they could be saved by grace. But then they fell into the heretical teaching that they could hold on to their salvation by working for their salvation. In other words, uh, they thought that this gift of salvation was a wonderful gift, but in order to hang on to it, I got to keep working hard. Paul says, that's no gospel at all. He says, don't go back into that bondage of legalism, that bondage of slavery again. And then Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're told that God has set us free and we're no longer a slave to sin. And then even Peter weighs in on this subject. In 1 Peter 2.16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Well, I hope today's message has been an encouragement to you to be walking and living in freedom. Paul says God gave him grace, wonderful grace. And that grace was given so that he could navigate through that thorn in the flesh, so that he would not become filled with pride. Well, my friends, I want to pray for you, okay? You know, I told somebody one time, I, I can't do a whole lot, but I can pray for people. And I pray that God will bless you today. I pray that you be filled with God's grace. Uh, maybe you need grace for the moment of making a difficult decision. 
So Lord, I pray that you have that grace to make that difficult decision. Maybe today your marriage is kind of falling apart and you need God's grace to go through this difficult time. Maybe you're battling guilt and you need God's grace. God's grace is amazing. It's far beyond how I can even put it into words, but he loves you unconditionally. Sunday after church, we went to a local nursing home and and at the end, uh, they asked me to say just a few words. And I said, well, I'm not sure exactly what I can say to encourage you. Uh, there was one lady that was 96 years old. And I says, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to know that God does indeed love you. He really does. He loves you unconditionally. And his grace is available to you. If I can pray for you. Would you shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365? Lord, thank you for being with us today. As we have studied your word and as we've looked at this wonderful grace that you have given to us, may we leave in your peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.